lose track of your timing. Grab a drink beside me. Down in the islands, down in the islands. Hello and welcome to episode 248 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. We are getting ever closer to spring training. We're within a couple weeks of pitchers and catchers reporting. Guys, how are you? Doing good, Mark. Like you said, a few weeks away now. We're getting closer and closer as we record. And we're kind of down to the last parts now of the offseason where we continue to get a little bit more anxious each week. And at the same time, we know that within the next couple weeks now, camps are going to be opening. Of course, the winter tour just happened. So we kind of got a a look at, you know, Kevin Kiermaier with some of the, or with the Jays, of course, is the new guy. And just seeing videos of the rest of the guys that were touring around Canada. And of course, I think they ended off in Niagara Falls. So it was pretty cool to have them in town as well, though, for a bit. And of course, them as well, checking out the new renovations at Rogers Center. And even we got a good look at them too, uh, from what we saw. So we get closer and closer and get more excited for opening day. Yeah. And I think it's just, we're starting to finally get a sense of what this team's going to look at or look like and the, the one thing I don't think we're going to discuss it on this episode because it's pretty minute but I just love the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got a question from an eight-year-old and somehow triggered an entire fan base the, just the, the the funniest stuff you can possibly see it just proves that Yankees fans are just they're always going to be Yankee fans and they're always going to be like that but anyways enough about that we got a whole season to play and it'll it'll be fun yeah that was pretty incredible and we saw it earlier this offseason when Vladdy said that he would rather die before signing with the Yankees. And um, again, that brought up a huge uproar in Yankees Nation in the Bronx. And then again, we see this. He's talking to an eight-year-old about what team he thinks is the easiest to play against or the funnest to play against, I guess, was a question. And he says that the Yankees, as a joke, and it triggers an entire fan base. It is really funny how one guy can get over, under their skin when he's talking to an eight-year-old. Um, but yeah, we got a lot to get a lot to get into on today's episode, the first thing that we want to mention before we get into any of the baseball stuff is just an announcement on our side of things. A couple of announcements on our side of things. So first, we launched a new Discord. It's open to the public, so you can join it if you go to Linktree slash Section 138 Pod. It's in the link to in our bio on Instagram and on Twitter, and we tweeted out the link to the Discord as well. So you can go there, join our community. Of Section 138 listeners, talk about baseball, talk about the Blue Jays. Right now, we've got 63 listeners on that Discord and counting. Um, So I encourage everyone to check that out. We've got a mailbag today with questions from our Discord members. So I encourage you to join so you can take part of future opportunities like that and talk about baseball with us and a whole bunch of other Jays fans. The other announcement is that we no longer have a Patreon. We've scratched that and we have instead launched a Buy Me a Coffee page. So that's... Kind of the same thing as Patreon, but um, if you enjoy what we do, if you enjoy the content that we produce, we really appreciate you going there and chipping in a couple bucks. Um, It's a one-time contribution, um, and so we really appreciate that there as well. And the link, you can find that, again, same link where the Discord is, the link in our bio on Instagram, the link in our bio on Twitter, linktree slash section138pod. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's talk about the biggest news from this week, the only news from this week, essentially, which is the Hall of Fame. We saw that former Blue Jay Scott Rowland was inducted into the Hall of Fame this year after I think it was six years on the ballot. He's finally made it. Um, he's not someone that you immediately associate with the Blue Jays. Uh, he played for the Blue Jays for about a season and a half. I think for a lot of fans, a lot of newer fans, myself included, what they associate the name Scott Rowland with 
is Edwin Encarnacion. Um, he was the piece going the other way to the Reds when Encarnacion came to the Blue Jays. And so that's what Scott Rowland means to me. So forever indebted to Scott Rowland for that trade because obviously it worked out quite well for the Blue Jays. But congratulations to someone in the Blue Jays family making it into the Hall of Fame after quite a long wait. Um, and that video that was posted of him telling his parents that he made it into the Hall of Fame is something else. So I encourage everyone to go check that out if you haven't already. Um, but now the conversation on the Hall of Fame is looking forward to next year. And there's a couple names of interest for Blue Jay fans on the ballot. The biggest name is Jose Bautista. And we've started a conversation offline between us three about whether Jose Bautista will get elected. Um, I'm just going to spoil it right now because I don't think Jacob's going to admit it. He said in print, in text, we have hey, the whoa, proof, we have the receipts. Me. What? I-, I was going to admit to it. Okay. Okay. No, well, then won't. admit to it. No, you won't. <laughs> yes. I, okay. Go on. No, you go on. You can admit to it in your own words. Alrighty. So, what did I say? I don't even remember the direct quote. I think I you said, said Jose Bautista. Jose Bautista. Would end up in the Hall yeah. Of Fame. When it's all said, yeah. Done. Basically, I he'll be a Hall of Famer. Head. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, I I admitted to it. Um. And so you guys, I knew you guys were going to bring this up. So I did some research about players who had just similar numbers. Look who else gets into the Hall of Fame. And I am here to publicly admit, and I, I'm like 90% sure I said it in our Discord, said it somewhere, but I'm here to publicly say that I retract that statement. Ah. Jose Bautista does not make it into the Hall of Fame. I mean, Jeez, I was like thinking, you can't stand okay, by your own statements. No, I made a statement and then I'm retracting it after research because I was like, <laughs> let's compare them to other sluggers. And I realized David Ortiz has like double the amount of silver sluggers or triple or whatever it is that he has. So bit of a retractment there, but. We'll see. There will be Blue Jays in the future. That's all I can hope for. Some of Jacob's hot takes are the definition of the F around or (laughs) find out meme. (laughs) And uh, it's not the first time we've seen this. But, of course, I mean, at least you're taking ownership to it. At least you're taking ownership to it because, yeah, when I first saw it, uh, I was definitely a little bit shocked. Uh, I think Mark was too. But, I mean, of course, it's technically he will be eligible as the next year, like you were saying, Mark. I love Jose Bautista. I think everyone... Any Jays fan loves Jose Bautista, but for me, I've never really thought that the likelihood of him getting in at any point um, was going to be, I guess, highly likely just because of the the fact of, I guess, the way his career kind of swung where it had really a slow start and then a pretty pretty low couple years. And of course, it really didn't heat up until he came to the Jays. And then afterward, near the, the tail end of his career with the Jays, and then afterward when he uh, spent it was either 2018 or 2019 I think it was 2018 with three different teams uh, and of course that didn't go anywhere either and I just think the way it kind of started and ended definitely hurt his chances on that uh, in terms of the amount of seasons he's played as well so I never really thought of it as a serious likelihood but of course it's always cool when you have a former Jay that's up and of course Scott Rollins another guy um, that you were going over Mark that's really cool as well and uh, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you in terms of kind of being a newer fan at the time when he played and I always remember or have flash memories of him being really good at what he did. And, of course, the tail end of it, the final straw of it was, of course, being remembered for bringing in Edwin Encarnacion with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, that trade. And, of course, we know the rest of that, and we know how it, everything turned out with Edwin. And, of course, Scott Rowland went on to have a, a solid career, too, near the end of it as well when he finished off with the Reds. So there's a lot of, 
just a flash memories with the Scott Rowland part, but of course, always recognizing when you have a, a Hall of Famer on your team, no matter how long it was for. It's just it's one of those cool moments uh, in terms of being a fan of a franchise like that. And again, it won't be the last time it happens, but every time it does happen, um, it's just always kind of a cool thing to look at and just you know recognition on that part. And of course, Scott Rowland will be the latest on that one. And um, we'll see what happens though, Jacob. I mean, there's always a, a, a slim chance uh that you could be right with this bautista thing but at the end of the day now you're you're walking back the statement so i don't really know what to believe with you anymore so i guess i can let you clarify some other stuff on that but yeah when you kind of mentioned that whole being a hall of famer when it's all said and done uh just yeah really really threw me off and um was excited but i will admit though i was very excited for your reasoning whether that was going to be on discord or on the podcast tonight but it looks like uh we got nothing out of that. So, oh, well. I'll tell you what. You were going to get a reasoning. That being said, I, I, I didn't want to cherry pick and say, well, okay. I had one player who had considerable-ish numbers. Like, you could argue that if this player was in the Hall of Fame, then Bautista should make it. Who was it? Uh, let me look. It was on. I was researching it. But that being said, um, the problem is you can't really cherry pick uh, I actually got rid of the tab. That's how I, that's how wrong I knew I was. So um, yeah, no. But basically, like I was gonna cherry pick and say this thing was an outfielder. The name's escaping me. But I said like if this guy's in a Hall of Famer, then Bautista should be one. But one player, and then you just look at David Ortiz and Craig Biggio. You just look at a million other numbers, and you're like, yeah, okay. Bautista was good, but he's not Hall of Fame good. Which is it's a shame to say because he obviously did uh, mean a lot to this team and and do a lot of good things for it. Yeah. He's Blue Jay Hall of Fame good. Blue Jay level of excellence good, but not Major League Baseball Hall of Fame good. I mean, you look at, I feel like the example that everyone always points towards when they're talking about undeserving Hall of Famers is Harold Baines. Um, And he ended his career with about 38 war. And right now, Bautista is ending his career with 36 war thereabouts. So like that gives you a sense of, if everyone's talking about Harold Baines as the most undeserving Hall of Famer, and you look at Jose Bautista at 36, it's like, it doesn't make sense for him to ever make the Hall of Fame. And there have been snubs in the past. I mean, I'll be the first to say that I think Carlos Delgado deserved one more than one year on the ballot. He deserved more than the 3 or 4% or whatever he got that first year. But um, Jose Bautista is not the guy to, I think, fight that argument about. There are more deserving players. And when you think about the range of a Hall of Fame player kind of starting at 50 war and... Jose Bautista being far lower than that, that's ultimately where we end up. However, I want to get your guys' opinion on how, I guess not how long Jose Bautista will last on the ballot, but his percentage that he'll get in his first year. I think this is almost impossible to predict, so I know we're going to be wrong. Um, But I think I'm going to put it around, I'm going to say 18%. I think... The trend towards a big Hall of Fame has grown in recent years, and we've been seeing more and more players stick on the ballot for longer, and more and more players get more votes whether or not they are actually deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. So I think Jose Bautista will get somewhere between 15 to 20% of the vote. I think eventually he'll either you know run through his 10 years on the ballot or drop off with less than 5% of the vote because I don't think there's any way that he's making it into the Hall of Fame as a player, but I think he'll get about 15 to 20% his first time on the ballot. I'm curious what you guys think it'll be at. 
15 to 20 is fair. I'd put it at 12, maybe 12.5, just so I'm, you know, a little bit below you. So if Bryson, you know, anyways, but I'll put it somewhere Bryson's around gonna that. go 12.6 to get the over. <laughs> no, I'm, what, okay. What I was trying to get at is if you you do 10, then I'm in the middle or something like that. So I, I think that that's fair. Honestly, something around that. I don't think he'll last all 10 years. And that's the unfortunate part. Like if he doesn't get in within the first four to five years, year nine or 10, I really don't think it's going to matter. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate to say. So I, it's one of those players that I think it was MLB that tweeted it that said like noteworthy players on next year's ballot. Uh, yeah, he's noteworthy. He had a great career, obviously leading the league in home runs, had you know, obviously a lot of a lot of great things that he's accomplished, but he just wasn't good. It wasn't elite for long enough to to be considered. And, uh, you know, the, I think that that is fair. He'll, he'll definitely last a couple of years, but I, I don't predict like if he was to get in, he'd get in quite early. I don't think it's going to be, oh, it's year six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We can, you know, he's going to get voted in. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I'll say around, I'll, I'll put it around 20%. I think um, it's, it was low. It's, I guess we're all in the same ballpark on that one, but I think it's going to be something where it probably, or most likely will like slowly increase as the years goes on. And that has been a trend where we've seen kind of, players get in on that final year and get over that final hump. I think the last guy that comes to mind with me that got in in their final year was Larry Walker, and that was a pretty remarkable story of how close he got each year, especially as the years went up and the like the expiry date become more became more closer and closer. And, I mean, just other names that are expected to be on next year's Hall of Fame ballot, as other than Jose Bautista, are Adrian Beltre, or Bartolo Colon, which would be really cool to see how that uh, turns out, Matt Holiday, Jim Johnson, Joe Maurer, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, Chase Sutley, David Wright. So there's some really good, there's some good names on that ballot, of course. And um, I do think you'll get some votes, Bautista. It's just, it's, it's hard to kind of judge because, again, it's a tricky one because of how, I guess, his seven seasons or around that time happened with the Jays when he peaked because if that was consistent throughout his entire career I think we'd make a very solid case that I mean he's somebody that definitely could crack the Hall of Fame but of course as I was mentioning the start and the finish you know uh, the outside part of that era with the Jays it, it wasn't exactly you know average either it was very poor in terms of uh, how I guess some of the seasons planned off and of course even at the later stages in that those final couple of years when he left the Jays again, it, it was really poor. And of course, even at the beginning when he was with the Pirates and struggling to stay in the major leagues, it just it wasn't exactly anywhere in the middle between being at his peak level with the Jays and where he was at the beginning of his career. So that's why it's really hard to see or hard to evaluate because of how it started and how it finished. But always going to be rooting for him. It'll be cool to to track um, for the next couple of years as well as his eligibility officially opens next year but I was going to say around 15 to 20 percent probably for my uh for next year in terms of a percentage and we'll see if that ever climbs as the years goes on okay can I take back what I said about 18 percent because now that I'm thinking about it more Carlos Delgado ended his career with 44 war and he got 3.8 percent on his first ballot and so Batista having 36 war and me saying 18%, that's kind of at odds with what the facts are telling me. So I think I'm going to reset my score and I'm going to say 8%, I think, instead of 18%. I don't know if any of you want to, either of you want to change your guess. I'll just well. stick with I mine. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I'll stick with mine. Mine's pretty low anyways okay. already. 
All right. Well, I guess we got a year to wait before we find out the final results, but we'll be checking that back in and seeing how Jose Bautista does. This transitions us into another conversation that we can have. Um, apparently, according to a couple people on Twitter, the Blue Jays have sent out a questionnaire to some fans asking for, I guess, historical, big historical moments in Blue Jays history. And there's been some speculation, the speculation is mine, but that the Blue Jays are sending this out as part of a project to get some statues outside the Rogers Center, which we have been a proponent of for a long time. Um, so I'm, I, I know we all want a bat flip home run. You know, when you think about some of the other iconic moments in Blue Jays history, a Joe Carter walk-off um, home run to win the World Series, touch them all, Joe, that moment immortalized. Do we want any other statues outside the Rogers Center? If you were filling out this questionnaire, what historical moments would you put down besides those two? Because I'm pretty sure we all agree on those two. What historical moments would you put down as important historical moments that you might want to see made into a statue i'm thinking maybe the wild card walk off i mean that whole thing with edwin with his arms up and then the bat just dangling starting to fall that could definitely be something i don't see the here's my issue as much as i want to say that and i have a few others that i could mention i don't want to say a million things and then the whole thing of a statue is is commemorating a very special event just turns into well anytime something good happens we make a statue so i feel like those three, if any, are going to be the three that'll get statues. I think the bat flip and and Joe Carter, hundred percent, going to happen. The Edwin thing, I'm not going to give a percent, but I think it's it's likely, but it's not guaranteed. But anything else, I don't really know. I mean, you could argue the Donaldson dash, you could argue something else, but maybe it's the Vladdy with his hands down going like my house. But no, it's it's not going to happen. But that's what I mean. What like, are you smoking, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> What I mean is, like, there are a lot of good moments that you can argue would be commemorated, but other than the, those first two, I, re, I I really don't see anything else happening. You are all over the map. You're going from Carter winning the <laughs> World Series to the Donaldson Dash and the ALDS. I just Well, like, they're all playoff moments. I think the, the Bautista yeah, and Joe like, Carter, 100%. If you're looking for the biggest moments from eras of Blue Jays baseball, the wild card home run and the ALDS Donaldson Dash, they aren't no, on the map. It's the not Bautista a bat flip. Period. Anything from well, that's why I said that era, one's not guaranteed. Those those two are there's no chance. The only one from our era I would say was be the Jose Bautista one, the Joe Carter one, of course. You know, the one that comes to mind too was uh, 1985 when the Jays first won the AL East, the first division that they won with George Bell fell to his knees. I think that's one that you can probably consider the 92 one. It's hard because I mean I don't think you're gonna have two separate statues of Joe Carter. I mean that'd be pretty cool. I guess. You know, but that that's a tough one. Um, the the another one I think of maybe when Dave Steve got the no hitter. I think that one would be really cool. Or even incorporating something with Roy Holiday as much as again at the time when he was here. Unfortunately, the, the success of the franchise wasn't exactly you know at at its highs during those eras. But I mean, it's really cool when I mean Roy Holiday is obviously a Hall of Famer now as well, and the second uh, or the second J in franchise history to have his number retired. So. To have something, I guess, around him would be cool. Again, Steve would be cool. And then uh, the Joe Carter moments, uh, George Bell, and then the Bautista bad flip would be kind of stuff that I would definitely think of. And in terms of our current, again, our current timetable of being fans to witness these moments, the only one I'd, I'd pretty much have in present time would be the Bautista bad flip as of now. And hopefully, 
that might change in the future, hopefully. Yeah, I think that's the right list to have. I don't want to entertain the wild card or the Donaldson dash. <laughs> Apologies to Jacob. That's why I said, like, I think that the other two guaranteed, the rest of them are just like, there's only so many good moments you can have a statue before you run out of room or meaning behind it. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get to our mailbag. Again, it's from our listeners on Discord, so I encourage everyone to join our Discord if you haven't already. Our first question is a bit of a fun one. It comes from eTitanic12. They ask if Major League Baseball had a most attractive skipper competition like the NHL does with their head coaches, who would be at the top and why would it be John Schneider? So I disagree with this listener. I don't think it's John Schneider because I think looking around Major League Baseball, there is a clear number one for most attractive manager. And I will be taking no questions on this. I will not be commenting on this, but it is clearly Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants. There is no other option besides Gabe Kapler. Thanks for listening. Alrighty, listen here, sir. Um, I think it has to be Kevin Cash. This like, Why? Have you seen Gabe like Kapler? He, off the top of my head, I can't remember what he looks like. I'm going to be Okay, well, honest. that would do it. Take but, a minute, Google okay. Gabe Kapler, and tell me he's not the most it, attractive manager. Okay, when Bryson's talking, I'll Google, but it would it would either be Kevin Kasher or John Schneider. I'm going John Schneider. I mean, why wouldn't you? John Schneider's a dog. More than I really Gabe like, Kapler? Hell yeah, John Schneider. Ever, ever since what? that wild cards, or not the wild card, the playoff clinching celebration last year, that's a guy I want to run through the wall with. And in terms of everything that comes other than that, John Schneider, to me, that's the guy. That's the guy for sure. Okay, so I just looked up a picture of Gabe Kapler. This is not Gabe bad. Kapler. Yeah, he's not bad, but he's like. <laughs> this is a fun I would conversation. Pick Kevin to Cash. Have. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looks like an NPC. Like I, I don't mind the rest of the other guys. Like I don't Jacob's know. all over the map. Those are my top three. I think. <laughs> We're okay. having a conversation well, with the most attractive manager. How like this is the I best will say, anyways. There was a vote. Taken by I don't know what organization did it, but apparently Terry Francona won, which is probably nowhere near the top of on a scooter. List. Yeah, well, now that he has it back after yeah, it was stolen, unfortunately. Um, but uh, <laughs> and then I think his quote in response to it, I can't remember exactly, but it was really funny. So you guys should go check it out. Um, okay, well we got that question out of the way. Let's get back into baseball. Um, so we have a question from Naden. They ask, if you were Ross Adkins, what trade would you try and make before the season begins? And what prospects would you label as untouchable? And who would be available for a trade? So I think I'll start with the second part first. Who would be untouchable in any trade that the Blue Jays make from this point forward? Um, I think Ricky Tiedman is at the top of that list for a lot of guys. Um, I think Arelvis Martinez is probably on that list, although I'm not sure if he's untouchable. I think if we're talking untouchable untouchables, like the Blue Jays have just spent a couple years trading away Austin Martin. They traded away Gabriel Moreno. Like they have obviously shown a willingness to trade away top prospects in favor of making the present team better. And so I think the definition of untouchable on this team has kind of really changed. And I'm not sure there is a clear untouchable in the Blue Jays system. So honestly, if I'm putting an untouchable out there, I think it's Ricky Tiedman, that's it. I think they're willing to trade anyone else to improve the team right now, especially improve the team with someone who has 
control left because obviously that's what they've shown this offseason. It's not just about winning this year or next year. It's about building a more sustainable competitive window and extending that competitive window on as long as possible. And so I think when we're talking about training prospects, I think they're willing to really trade anyone besides Ricky Tiedman. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say, two years ago, I said Austin Martin's an untouchable. What do you know? They get nine years out of Barrios, it's looking like. I thought Gabriel Moreno was untouchable. My opinion obviously changed, and the Blue Jays changed because they traded him. So I think the only one that I'm thinking is untouchable is Ricky Tiedman. I don't think you can go and trade a left-handed pitcher. ETA, as of MLB.com right now, is 2024. Grain of salt, I think, you know, it could happen, might not. We, you know, we never know, I think. But that being said, I think Aurelvis Martinez, I'm putting a, a bit of a coin flip. Like, if it's, if it's a, if it's a trade that you'd be stupid to say no to, absolutely, you include him. Or if, if he's the part that, that makes it go over the edge, like, the, absolutely. But if you can keep him, I keep him. But I have a hard time making him an untouchable. And I think the, the thing is, is the Blue Jays spent a lot of time adding to their depth, getting good, you know, young talent, guys with control, they're kind of in that win-now mode. And, I mean, we had a bit of an offline conversation about how win-now is kind of irrelevant because you can sign guys forever, and we've seen a lot of teams be good for a long time. I still think that you're you're not really in that, that grow-and-develop stage anymore. You're kind of at that point where if a prospect is good, he's coming up to that major league level because you need him to, to help you win the World Series. And so, unless it's Ricky Tiedman or... I really don't think anybody else can can truly say that they're untouchable. Yeah, this is always a fun conversation because it's just we we know the way prospects work with baseball and everything like that. But I mean, I'll throw. I mean, of course, I'll I'll side with you guys and Ricky Tiedman. I guess I'll throw a couple other ones out there since we haven't really gotten or we haven't addressed anything else. First of all, I think uh, Jacob, what you were talking about with Ricky Tiedman, I I don't think he's up in twenty. I think he's up this year at some point. Um, at some point at the halfway mark of the season maybe uh of course the the thing that with Ricky Tiedman where you know as much as he was really great last year and he was the the thing that the challenge that he's gonna have to overcome was in terms of the workload like I know there was a there was some sort of thing where he wouldn't go over five or six innings and then of course the last it was either the last month or the last couple weeks of the season they shut him down completely because they didn't want to go over overuse him or you know the whole workload conversation that we have now in present day so I assume that's something where he's gonna have to test his limit a little bit this year put a little bit more work and of course you don't want to overwork yourself though um I guess another untouchable I have right now I'll, I'll put Brandon uh Barriera he was the first round pick out of last year I mean he's another high quality starter who the Jays drafted left-handed pitcher again uh he's nowhere close to major league ready but I think as of now of course this is something that could change along the way but in terms of right now I'll say he's an untouchable uh Aurelvis Martinez is always a fun one that we talk about I don't think he is I'll be clear I don't think he's an untouchable I think there's always something where the Jays might entertain something with him uh, I just think we've kind of seen that in the past where his name's floated around a bit and um, I'm I'm not willing to say he's untouchable other than that I think there's a lot of other guys where the Jays would be hesitant to move but at the same time I don't think it's out of the question that they would ever consider um, moving somebody like that so we'll, we'll see I, it's just it's always hard to do I mean there's another uh, high 
like ranked prospect. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see Scott Mitchell's top 50 prospects list, but it was remarkable uh, in terms of all the rankings that we had, 50 all the way to one. And of course, seeing at 25, this is unrelated, but somebody who we've done an interview with before, I've mentioned this before, uh, with Hagen Danner, who is projected also at some point to make the bullpen or crack the bullpen, even a chance he does that out of spring training. I think that'd be really cool as somebody that we got used to, that we interviewed a few years ago. So uh, I just thought that was something that was really cool to see on his list. But other than that, I think just the intel that we got on all these prospects and where they are and where they're lined up to, I think it gave you a really good understanding of where things stand. And the only two untouchables that I saw right away were Ricky and then Brandon Barriera. I just think that right now, especially with Barriera, it's too early to consider moving him in any sort of deal. Perhaps that changes in 2024, 2025. I don't know. But as of 2023, that's uh, that's not somebody I'm willing to move at all. I'd like to see him develop and start um, in single-A Dunedin. I think that's where he was last year, or at least that's where he's expected to start this year. I think that would be really cool to see how he works in the minor leagues. I think there's the fourth-ranked prospect on Scott Mitchell's list again. His name was uh, Yosfer Zulieta, and he's also projected to be on the roster at some point this season. Even if it's not as a starter, it could be out of the bullpen. I think that'll be really cool to see. These guys especially that are major league ready in 2023 especially these pitching prospects i don't necessarily want them to be moved right away i like to see how they pan out if they get an opportunity to do so so that's why the only untouchables though i'll say is tiedman and barriera yeah i mean obviously if you had your choice you would rather that the blue jays just choose that money isn't an issue they're going to go out and spend for all these top free agents and hold on to all the potential top prospects that they have because that's obviously more fun as a baseball fan, but given the financial situation the Blue Jays are in, bumping up against the luxury tax or exceeding it a tiny bit, you're going to have to be playing with these prospects at some point and entertaining the possibility of trading them. And yeah, it's cool to see the path that Hagen Danner has taken in the Blue Jays system. When we talked to him, it was like a week after he was drafted by the Blue Jays in 2017, I think it was. And um, to see him develop first, you know, drafted as a catcher, yeah, shifting that's cool. to when he switched pitcher. positions, yeah, yeah, and now he's like making waves. Some people thought he was going to make his major league debut last season in 2022. So really, really excited to see how he pans out in the major league level, and obviously wishing all the best to him. But uh, yeah, and you mentioned um, Zuleta. Uh, he's had an injury plagued last few years. I think I think he missed most, if not all, of last season with an injury. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I don't think he's pitched much above the low levels of the Blue Jay minor league. So I don't know if I really don't expect to see him this year. I guess there's always a possibility you have an accelerated path for someone like that coming up in the bullpen. But I don't know. I see the Blue Jays taking a more measured approach. And next year, probably a more accurate estimate. But again, we don't know the farm system super well. We're not experts in that. So I would defer to Scott Mitchell and all those people who love the Blue Jays farm system more than we do. Um, But yeah, it's a very entertaining conversation to have. So then we turn to the other part of the question that we got, which is basically what trade do you want to see before the offseason is over? What trade do you want to see Ross Atkins make? Who do you want to see him in the Blue Jays acquire? And I think this is a good point to kind of reflect a little bit on the offseason because we've got really only like three weeks left before pitchers and catchers report. So we're kind of in that end stage And so the Blue Jays have three weeks to do something, essentially. What do you hope they do? What is the deal that's still outstanding that hasn't been made that the Blue Jays really need to do to improve their team? And I guess we can kind of wrap this into the next question if you guys want to mention this. But 
there's been conversations of the Blue Jays and the Royals making a deal for Scott Barlow. Um, so maybe that's one of the deals you want to see. I don't know. I think other than Scott Barlow or just even just relief help, I don't really know what else there is to ask for. Like, yeah, they did get rid of Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Curiel Jr., but you bring in Varsho, you bring in Kiermaier, you bring in Bassett. This wasn't an offseason move, but we hear Ryu is expected to be back halfway through next season. Like, I don't really know what else you need out of out of this, this management. Like, it's been a... It didn't look like it was going to be a good offseason, but it's been quite a good offseason. And I mean, I also forgot about Eric Swanson. Like, it's been a good offseason, I think, for the Blue Jays. And I don't really think that if they... I don't think they need to do anything. And if they don't, I wouldn't necessarily be upset. Like, yeah, Scott Barlow would be fantastic. ERA in the low twos the last couple of seasons absolutely would be fantastic. But even if they don't, I still think it's a fantastic team. I really don't see this team as as having many holes. And there obviously are still holes that they need to fill. But it's still quite a solid team that I think easily could uh, could have an easy time, as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. says, competing for first place in the AL East <laughs> against the Yankees. So I, I think that's kind of it. Like, I don't want to get greedy and say, oh, you did all this, go do this, or else the offseason's not good. Like, it's been good. That's why I I don't really see this as being like a a huge issue where like they need to go out and do something. Yeah, I think when Ross Atkins said the heavy lifting was done or the expectation that the heavy lifting was done, I think that was actually something where he was telling the truth on. I mean, on a side note, you mentioned Eric Swanson, Jacob, and of course that obviously reminds me of the trade. I don't know if you guys saw the recent video with Teoscar Hernandez and Julio Rodriguez in a batting cage, and it was Teoscar Hernandez was wearing a shirt with his head and Vladdy's head uh, on the same t-shirt. So, I mean, that was obviously a bittersweet seeing that moment. But, um, of course, it just reminded me of Teoscar Hernandez because of what you mentioned. But other than that, though, I think I agree with you in the terms of if they're going to do anything. Um, at this point, it should be for a reliever if they do anything, of course, via trade. And it's also something that they're probably looking at via free agency. I'm sure there's other names out there that they're going after. And somebody, you know, a common case of this offseason has been getting guys that we haven't exactly been known or we haven't been tipped off on prior to. Of course, case in point, Dalton Varsho and even Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, we kind of heard the rumblings beforehand, but I don't think any of us really expected it to happen. And then, of course, the trades they make as well with the bullpen help and, of course, again, with the Vara show and the, the uh, Teoscar trade. So if they bring in Scott Barlow, that's great. If not, I'm sure there's other guys out there or other relievers out there. I just I think that if they are going to do a trade, though, it, it is going to be uh, for some sort of reliever. I think I remember seeing at some point throughout the or near the trade deadline last year is that the Jays and Royals actually tried also making a deal for a reliever other than the Whit Merrifield trade. And never obviously never, nothing ever came to fruition on that. So perhaps it's something that... Barlow was the guy that the Jays were also looking at last July, and it's kind of something where it's easier than other guys to pick up right away from a conversation that they had at some point late in the summer if they're revisiting that. That's obviously a possibility, and we, we don't know exactly how legit the rumors are of it, but if it is going to happen, it seems like it's going to be not a blockbuster, but it is going to involve some names uh, that were that we're obviously well known with as well in the active roster. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see by next week if anything comes um, out of that, because of course we are getting closer to spring training, but I don't think they're necessarily done with that in terms of any other trades. I mean, the only other hole you can really think of that they can address at this point would either be another starting pitcher, which at this point doesn't look likely, but of course that can always happen. And then if they decide to get, an outfielder for the sake of it another one because we've kind of spoken about if they if there was room for another one 
other than that, I think those are things that you can address via free agency. So for a trade, if, if they decide to do one uh, for a reliever, I think that it, that's what makes the most sense. Yeah, I think reliever is the one thing that's kind of left on my list. I mean, obviously the list is longer than that. There's a whole bucket list of things I'd love the Blue Jays to do. But in terms of realistic things and things that will actually make the team better in relevance and in connection to the amount of money or prospects that they're going to spend um a reliever is at the top of that list and I think Scott Barlow would be a great fit for the Blue Jays and just to clarify what we're talking about here there was I think two random Twitter accounts that you know non-verified non-credible at all that tweeted out the fact that the Blue Jays are I, I mean one tweet said that they're trading uh Kevin Biggio for Scott Barlow uh, I don't know what the other tweet said, but you know that sort of thing. Speculation, very very sketchy rumblings of this fifty fifty success rate. Yeah, grain of salt. <laughs> I saw one. Well, I saw one, and I posted this. Some of our listeners were talking to me. I, I forgot to reply to them, but I heard Arelvis Martinez was no, in some of those rumors. No. That's why I was like, Ooh, yeah, I don't like the prospects that were listed in those for Scott uh, Barlow in those trades. Well, that's like, why Scott Barlow is like, good, but you're not going to. Yeah, he's not both. Yeah. No, but, but you don't uh, have Rivera. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, that's where this conversation comes from. And it does lead us in part to our final question of the day, which is from Finn. The Royals have been open to trading some of their relievers after trading Mondesi to the Red Sox. Do you think the Jays should explore trading for a reliever from the Royals this offseason? What do you think the cost would be? And we've kind of already answered this question in part. Um, yes, the Blue Jays should explore it. I think all of us think that, except maybe... Not Jacob if he doesn't run one reliever. I think we'd all be happy with Scott Barlow, and I think the cost of Scott Barlow, reasonably, Kevin Biggio, I don't know if that's enough to get the deal done for the Royals side of things. I think they may want a prospect, especially where they seem to be right now in their competitive window and competitive schedule. So I don't know how much I believe the Kevin Biggio side of things. The Scott Barlow, two years of control left. Really good reliever, would be really solid for the Blue Jays to kind of slide in behind Swanson, to slide in behind Romano, and you know maybe kind of um, Garcia-type um, sort of in that realm of quality as a reliever. So definitely interested. I think the Blue Jays should pursue it, but I think it will take a little bit more than Kevin Biggio. I think it'll take, you know, God forbid, maybe an Arelvis Martinez type, or maybe someone lower in the Blue Jays system. Like maybe you know, two prospects from the kind of like the seven to 10 range, I think might be what it takes for the Blue Jays. I don't know. We'll see, but it's definitely something I think the Blue Jays should pursue because I think I strongly believe that they need more bullpen help. Well, something I don't think we mentioned, and I don't think this was announced before the last episode was that David Phelps has retired. So there's somebody that they do need to obviously fill a hole that he's not there. So I think you're kind of accurate there. Like BGO, I'm not against adding prospects into that trade, but Aroldis Martinez, no. When I said he's not an untouchable, I meant for like a blockbuster deal. I didn't mean somebody that realistically they could go without. And that's not to say Scott Barlow would be good. It's not to say that he couldn't put the team over the edge in the AL East. But like realistically, I think there's uh, better uses of that prospect capital. So I would say, I mean, if you're throwing in Biggio, if if you can try to get two bottom of your top 10 prospects maybe 8 9 9 10 something like that see where you can go for that i mean even you could even throw in i know it's a reliever i mean uh kansas city is not really competitive so it doesn't really matter but you could throw in maybe 
Espinal, maybe. I could be talking uh, complete utter nonsense right now, but you know what I mean? Like, trying to save the... That's not the, a name I ...the prospect capital. But, like, you could throw in Biggio, who I think has more upside, and then somebody else. As, uh, something like that. I don't know. But I think you got to... The top five prospects in a Scott Barlow trade are untouchable, is, is what I'm trying to get at. Like, Biggio and, and then something if you can if you can negotiate like the best possible deal for yourself yeah that's that's the last person i thought jake would ever <laughs> mention i mean he was the first one on the espinal starting train so already you've turned your back <laughs> on him that quickly that's really unfortunate to see and quite disappointing on honestly so other than that i mean i think though i mean look it, if the Royals are interested in doing it, sure. I, I think if they're if they're looking to unload players, of course, for a team who's rebuilding, whatever, uh, I think it's something that it's there. And, of course, what you guys were saying or what you were saying, Mark, if Biggio hypothet- hypothetically isn't involved in that trade, is that even enough to get that done? And obviously that'll depend on if a team like the Royals are looking for or interested in somebody like Kevin Biggio. Maybe there's another team out there. I think from I remember seeing a couple of things where Biggio was gaining some interest, not a whole lot, but I think that's something where if he was involved in a deal, I think a team would definitely take, but it all depends on the entire deal and who obviously the Jays would get in some sort of deal. So we'll see. But other than that, I think the, the easiest way we can put it is that if they are going to make one more trade, if uh, before spring training starts, it has to, you have to be very certain that it's going to be for a reliever because the heavy lifting's done in terms of the starting rotation, of course, by the looks of it, and especially especially the starting lineup uh, in terms of the offense. So I think that's really the only thing that we can think of with that one. And uh, I wouldn't say never say never. I would I do think there's a legitimate legitimate chance that the Jays could do something one more thing before spring training starts for sure. And they have obviously exactly one month actually until Grapefruit League ba- games begin. So they do have some time to do something final if they decide to do it. And 21 days until we start hearing how every Blue Jay pitcher and catcher is in the best shape of their lives. <laughs> so I guess we got 21 days to get into the best shape of our lives in time for spring training. But we'll see. Um, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, we really appreciate it. Reminder again, you can join our Discord. That's at the link in our bio, Instagram, Twitter. And you can follow us on social media at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can also go check out our new Bias Coffee page. And that is also in the link in our bio at all those locations, which again is Linktree slash Section138Pod. Um, the last thing I'll ask you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing. Um, okay, 21 days. That's the countdown we got. Exactly three weeks till pitchers and catchers. Exactly one month until the first spring training game. We'll see what happens, and we'll catch you next time.